My name is Julian Jackson. I'm with Moms for America, and uh, our whole premise is that liberty begins at home. When moms and grandmoms understand and know the stories and miracles of America, their children, their posterity will know and revere it as well. Now, they won't instantly, almost the moment you tell them something, go, oh, yes, that's 100% true. I agree completely, mother. You know, particularly if they're a certain age, they might push back and go, well, that's not what I learned. That's not what I saw on social media. That's not what my teachers tell me. But as you consistently teach them these principles and you talk about these great founding fathers and mothers, it will get deep in their heart and it will rise up. And, and in their hour of need, as they grow and develop and mature, they will know at the hand and the foot and the mouth of mama, I've learned these things. These things are true. They're right. I need to, I need to delve into them more. I've seen that with my children that, you know, uh, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, the, the, the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree, you know, kind of thing. And sometimes we think our kids are going in the opposite direction of what they're teach, what we're teaching them. Just know that it, it is not, you know, the things that you are teaching them might not bear fruit immediately, but it will down the road. And so we just have faith. We just turn it over to God to magnify what we're doing in their hearts and in their hour of need, it will rise up and they will embrace it and it will bless their lives. So just that's a big part of what we do as a mother. We just teach on faith. We just teach on faith. We are on lesson four. I hope everyone has the seminar lesson four, the healing, the restoring of the charter of freedom. These books are only $12 a piece on the Moms for America um, website. And they're really, they're like my treasures. It's what I uh, pull from to speak, to testify, to, 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 you know, be able to influence more authoritatively and powerfully are the little stories and principles and ideas that are broken down so simply in these manuals. So write, write in them, write notes, highlight, they're going to be like, your treasures that you you're able to influence from. And so, you know, they're just these kind of measly little books. They're not expensive, but to me, they are, are my treasures. So last week, I, I hope we are going to memorize our war cry of how to get ourselves right and how to get our families right. We're in solutions now. We talked about healing ourselves and healing our family. And you've heard me talk about these four things that we can do to, to get us right, our, the, you know, within the four walls of our home. It's like what keeps us anchored in hope because there's so much negativity going on right now. I, I uh, when I talk with friends, when, when I open the newspaper, watch the news or I listen, I mean, boom, 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 problem, 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 crazy, crazy. He's, he's lost his mind. You know, it's, it's just a, it's just a kind of a downer. And so, you know, when we hear people going off, then remember, oh, okay, I got something to counter all this negativity. We got to, turn to God for our freedoms. We don't need to, you know, uh, look to the president of the United States or Washington, D.C. to give us the green light to have a good life. We look to God. He's our deliverer. We gather that little family. We keep them close. We make family time a high priority. That's why, you know, a, an opportunity to teach, just like Gloria, before we got started from Arkansas, was talking about how she's, you know, 
setting up little routines of teaching her children and what she's teaching them. And at night, you know, uh, she teaches them. And, and so that is like good quality family time when you can armor them up with truth straight from the voice of a mother and and then learn learn the constitution and learn it primarily from the viewpoint of the founders because it worked really well for the first hundred years when we were operating uh, as the uh, under the way they saw fit and so that's why it's so great to come together in cottage meetings with mothers because it's it's kind of a fun way to learn the constitution and to talk about what's a practical application of this principle that we could use in the school board or at the city council or when we go talk to the school teacher and so as mothers when we come together in these cottage meetings whether it's online or if you start a little group of five six seven moms in your neighborhood you can you, you know share experiences and teach one another and it brings the constitution kind of to life well what does this you know, Amendment 1, Section 1 mean for me as a mother of five children. And so you kind of hash it out as mothers in, in the cottage meeting setting. And then when you do that, number four, the Lord puts into your heart, well, what should I do? Do I need to make some changes in my home? Is there something I can do in my kid's school or the neighborhood or the, you know, school board? And so those, if, if you're focusing on those things, it keeps you anchored in hope. You know, I, I always tell everyone for every negative book you bring into the, your home or every negative pause, uh, podcast you listen to or, or program about what's wrong with America, you got to bring in a what's right with America book so you don't begin to just get drowning yourself in everything that's wrong because then you lose the vision. You lose the vision of kind of this promised land and what our founders gave us. So we just focus on the, the negative stuff uh, living in, in this day and age. So today we are going to talk about section two of seminar four. There's four sections in every seminar. We are on, what are we on girls? Are we on the 14th? We're on the 14th of the 16 lessons of healing of America. You did it. We, we, we've hung in there. Thank you, Jesus. And so uh, we're on um, lesson 14, 15, 16, lesson 14 on how to heal our education. And that's just perfect timing because school is in session now. Maybe some of you have been going to school for a few weeks. My kids just started this week on the East Coast. I live just about 15 minutes from Washington, D.C. in a place called Chevy Chase, Maryland. So school is in session. So we're gonna talk about what kind of impact we can make on the education system, what kind of impact we can make in our communities to heal them and how, what kind of impact we can make in healing our state. So, you know, whether your kids are in government school, I've taken to calling public school government school. I heard that from my friend the other day and I'm like, I'm gonna call public school government school. So I've got one kid in government school. He's a senior in high school. I've got the eighth grader in public school and then there is homeschooling. And, and I've, I've actually homeschooled uh, a little bit, uh, my five kids. And I ultimately think that's maybe the direction that we're gonna have to go. And those mamas that are homeschooling, you're a couple steps ahead of uh, a lot of us. And I really commend you for it because it's not easy. But there are real challenges today in the school systems and we're seeing it played out right before our eyes. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. So let's turn to section um, two. 
And remember how of the four war cries to stay anchored in hope, the third one is to become an informed and knowledgeable citizen. And then we use that knowledge of the constitution and the principles upon which our nation was founded to become involved and to strengthen our families and to strengthen our neighborhoods and our communities. When we really know the position of the founding fathers and what they intended, that's how we can improve and perpetuate and contribute and strengthen our uh, neighborhoods and communities and state. And, um, and that's how we can speak with more confidence and with greater authority and less emotionalism and anger and fear that you see so many uh, people speaking on. So this is one of the most important aspects in the healing of America. That is how to shore up your community and state because those are the closest entities to us as individuals. It's where we live, it's where we work, it's where our kids go to school, it's where we go to church, it's where they participate in sports and recreational activities. It's in the community really that we are molded. It, it helps to mold the character of our family and its members. Therefore, it's imperative that our communities be built upon standards of morality and decency and, and integrity that we want because it's going to get real mostly impact us. You know, you know, those standards in our community will have the greatest bearing on our children and our grandchildren. Now we know principle 21 from the 5,000 year lead, the 28 principles that changed the world that our founding fathers drew upon to establish this country. They knew in 21, it says strong local government is the keystone to preserving human freedom. Strong local Local government is the keystone to preserving our freedom, not what Washington tells us 3,000 miles away determines, you know, how we should live, but it's what is being dictated at the local level that will most greatly impact us and we will have the most control over what goes on at the local level as well. You know, it's important to remember, remember how we learned that Moses was instructed by God to organize the government so that the most attention would be given to problems at the local level. And then he would delegate the problems as they went further up the latter, only the most difficult problems he was to address, kind of like uh, with the federal government today. You know, they're only, they only have limited powers and, and, and defined, uh, you know, abilities. All, all the other problems should be solved at the local level because that's where people are most familiar with what the situation is and they have the, the best insights as to where the best solutions might be. So the founding fathers were correct in their belief that each community had a right to determine its own standards of morality uh, and proper behavior. And this was spelled out in the First Amendment. Remember, the first 10 amendments are called the Bill of Rights. That are, those are what our founding fathers gave us and also Amendment 11 and 12. And, and they particularly spelled this out in the First Amendment where they banned the federal government uh, from getting involved in the internal operations of the state, especially those pertaining to religion, religious practices, standards of morality and uh, decency and, and safety, so to speak. Remember in that first amendment, it talks about Congress shall make no laws respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So basically what they're saying is we want the states to determine that for their own people. Let them 
uh, set their own standards in their state and in their communities. So with the impact that the community has on each person in the family, it's, it's unfortunate that we actually sometimes pay the least amount of attention to what is going on locally, that we're often kind of um, mesmerized by the national level, you know, what's going on in DC or what's going on in the world. And, and we should know what's going on there, but sometimes it's at the expense of what's going on right in our own backyard that it actually has more bearing an impact on us than what the nightly news tells us is going on, you know, in, in DC or other parts of the world. So um, James Madison, he made it very clear that, you know, the powers granted to the federal government and not James Madison, but amendments nine and 10 and the constitution said again, that only limited and carefully defined powers should be delegated to the federal government. All others should be retained to the states and, and to the people where their rights should be numerous and undefined. And so today we're going to talk about, well, what are some of the concerns that we have in our school systems and in our communities? And what are some of the solutions uh, as we become informed and knowledgeable? How can we be actively involved in, in being a part of the solutions in our communities and preserving these constitutional liberties within our communities? So number one, the first step to becoming involved locally is to heal our education and mamas, we've got some problems with our education and we have for some time. People tend to behave accordingly to what they believe and the enemies of the constitution have used our educational conduit to promote their destructive agendas. Likewise, proper education must become a vital tool for us concerned citizens to heal America at all levels. Now we talked about this, didn't we, in seminar three, those godless educational reformers, Horace Mann, John Dewey, who used education to, uh, uh, to perpetuate this, ultimately this new world order. And remember, God loves education and his correct program of education is for moms and dads it to be home-centered and then, you know, the schools can assist. But I always say Satan always has a counterfeit to God's pr a program. And Satan wants to use education not to build up and uplift and inspire like God does. Satan wants to use education to destroy, to bring down, to indoctrinate to control. And that's what these godless reformers did starting in the 1800s and the 1900s with their, you know, uh, godless philosophies. And then these master planners that we talked about that wanted to move us to this one world order self for their own self-serving purposes. And they funneled their money in these tax exempt foundations and they would call them educational foundations. And these foundations uh, you know, would be the money behind replicating, recreating Colonial Williamsburg or Mount Vernon. But guess what they would get to do? They would get to shape and craft the narrative. It's so interesting just this week. You know how sometimes when these historic sites are trying to raise money, well, Colonial Williamsburg sent me a bunch of cute little note cards and it was an opportunity for them to ask for a donation from the foundation. So it says the Colonial, just got this today, or not today, a few days ago, the Colonial Williamsburg Foundation 
It wants to keep the stories of the 18th century Williamsburg fresh and vibrant, where enslaved people labored in the kitchens of the governor's palace while the governor himself dined in, on the finest French cuisine. <laughs> it says that in the donation letter about the enslaved people laboring while the elites, elites on the backs of the enslaved ate fine food. And I'm like, isn't that interesting? Can you see how they're perpetuating this narrative of the oppressors and the oppressed, you know, the elite people dining on the backs of the enslaved, exactly what they're trying to infiltrate and rile, you know, people and the rising generation up that America is not so great. You know, they're, you're either, you're, uh, you know, you're either a racist and oppressing someone or you've been a victim and you've been so oppressed. And so this is, these are these kind of master planners, you know, that are fundamentally trying to change uh, America and change our history. And, um, and so in a recent survey, uh, there, it, it talked about the concerns that parents have for their children. Now recent, this would have been over a decade ago, but these concerns are just exactly the concerns that we have today in 2021. And this is what we're gonna talk about today. Concern number one, we feel that we have a loss of parental control. Now in the past, education was under the direction of parents, for the parents to have this God-given responsibility to raise their children and education was looked upon as an extension of the family. Now that's what our founders intended and that's what they set up education to look like. However, in recent years, we've adopted the delivery systems of the godless educational reformer, uh, John Dewey and his irreligious philosophies of uh, Horace Mann. And the public schools now have become the dominant influence in the community and the family has been an extension, become an extension of the schools. Now, remember John Dewey knew that the two most detrimental things to a kid's educational progress was the mother and God. So he made, they made the, began to make the school days much longer. So children are at home less, so they have, less time with the parent to be influenced. And they began to pull God out of the school systems and they got the courts to get on board in the 1950s and 60s to pull God, to remove God out of textbooks, to not uh, no longer be able to have Bible clubs or to read Bible verses or that kind of thing. So what is the solution to this? Competition, all right? The tenets of the free market. We just pull our kids out of government school. All right, so we homeschool. I know there are so many of you, or a good handful of you that are homeschooling, and I'm like, bravo, that's the, that's the best thing we can do. And um, uh, I'll, just, I'll just name a few of the programs that I know I'm familiar with, or I, I know some of the mamas have done uh, homeschooling. There's one called Classical Conversations, Leah Boyden out of North Carolina. Her program has been around for 30 years and it's all uh, kind of based on uh, the classics. They study classical literature. She, I, I actually had dinner with her a few months ago and she said it would be, uh, it would be those original sources um, that mamas would teach that would save Western civilization. She felt that mothers would preserve our culture, our Christian culture. It was going to be the mothers that would do that. 
And I liked what she said. She said, hey, look, successful homeschoolers are rarely at home because they're out learning. You know, I, I always hear, she said, parents are afraid their kids won't be properly socialized if they're homeschooled. She said, we don't, we don't want our kids socialized the way they're being socialized in schools. We want them to be civilized. And uh, so I like that. Her program is she has a four days of home study. And then on the fifth day, they meet in a church or a rec center or someplace, all the kids and the moms for six hours, and then they review what they've learned. There's also um, the, the, the good and the beautiful a homeschool curriculum. Just write these down if you want to Google them and you can find out the details. The Leahona has an online curriculum and the Kimber uh, curriculum. I'm not sure if Cherie is on. She, um, Cherie told us about her, the Kimber curriculum. She's actually an instructor for the Kimber curriculum um, schools. Uh, maybe she can talk a little bit about that at the end of class today. So just know if you need some help, um, if you're thinking of homeschooling, but you don't know where to start, will you reach out to us? Because we have all kinds of resources and helps for homeschooling. So that's one solution uh, uh, to getting control back, to pull your kids out of government school. Another is to put them in private school. Uh, my eighth grader goes to all girls Catholic uh, Christ school, Christian school. And, and we're not even of that faith. But, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm OK. Any, anyone that believes in uh, Jesus Christ and God in prayer, I'm like, hey, we, uh, we're sisters, we're brothers, we, we have stuff in common. And so there I know that she's being taught about God and religion and morals and their pro-life. And, and we were able to go to school last year. All the schools were closed in Washington, D.C. So even though they had to wear masks, she was still being taught and being taught things that, that we believe in. And so um, avoid the lure, they, they warn us, of easy money. So charter schools, are, sometimes we think that those are, they're better than government school, but they're also still funded by the state, uh, the federal government. So they're, even though they're less regulated, they are still controlled to some degree. And school vouchers are kind of fraught with peril because they come with strings as well. So that means there's some control. Whenever you accept money from the federal government, they will uh, be able to control some of that. And we'll talk about, um, you know, not accepting these state and federal fundings because when you stop taking their money is when you start to get the control back, okay? Um, and the second solution, replay, oh, here we go, replace state and federal monies with local funding, okay? Just use the money that comes into your cities. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Now, that's an idea. You get enough of the board members in the city council and the school boards that will accept and go along with that. Yeah, now you've got all kind of control coming back into your schools. Okay, concern number two. We're concerned about the irreligious and inappropriate curriculum that our kids are being taught. Oh, my goodness sakes. Just look at that critical race theory that's making its way into the schools now. Parents, the concern is that we have little or no say in the selection of what our kids are being taught or their textbooks. And as a result of that, falsehoods are being allowed to be taught in school because of these godless books. When they begin to take God out of school, they took textbooks that told the stories of God that, you know, or referenced God in our early history of America and replaced them with godless um, books. And, and what it did is it, it severed that connection with heaven 
in the classroom. So kids don't even know these amazing miraculous stories and miracles of America because they talked about God and, and we can't have that in, in the textbooks. So what is the solution to this? We put us, the parent, back into control. So when parents or city councils are in charge, we can set up advisory committees and these committees can then select the curriculum. And we can even select our, our faculty and our school administrators and parents then can reinstate, you know, God-filled curriculum into government school and morality back into the classrooms. So how in the world do we have enough influence where we can say, we want to set up an advisory committee of parents so we can review the curriculum? I mean, how do you do that? Well, enough parents have to start showing up to the school boards and we're seeing online, you know, little clips that are going viral of parents that are like storming every, you know, every meeting. Now imagine, you know, if they kept that up and they kept having public comment that we want to have advisory committees made up of parents in the community to review and to be a part of having a say about who our teachers are or what our curriculum is. And so that means when you show up, you might want to wear all the same t-shirts. You know, if you're a little cottage meeting, we actually will help you. Moms for America has these t-shirts. Moms for America. Imagine if 10 of you showed up with Moms for America t-shirts, your little cottage meeting, you know, once a month uh, at the school board or the city council and signed up to, uh, you know, public, maybe if you always had three or four moms that talked about, hey, we want to start an advisory committee so we can be a part of selecting the curriculum and the books and the teachers and, and just begin to kind of pound this idea. And then you popularize this idea, you know, in the community and, and, and it, it can happen. There's no reason why it can't happen. And so also um, writing emails or uh, letters to your school board and always, you know, send a picture of your family with all the kids so they can see, look, you're a mother and you have kids, you, you have a vested interest and you got a voice and you're not going to go down quiet. This is my family. I love my family. I want what's best for my family. I don't like what's being taught my kid, to my kids. I don't like what's being taught to my family. And here they are. Here we are. Here's a picture. Here I am at the school board. I sent you a picture and a letter and now I'm speaking to you in public comment. I mean, so this is how you begin to do it. And this is the power of the cottage meeting because you get five or 10 mamas meeting together in your home once a month, every week. And then you get a couple other cottage meetings around the local area. And then you make some mom links and you kind of are like, hey, let's all meet up at the school board at seven o'clock next Wednesday, wear your t-shirts. Now there's 20 of you. <laughs> you do that every, every meeting and they have to listen to you. And then after you go to a school board meeting two or three, you're like, wait a minute. There's nothing especially intelligent about any of these people. I think, I think I'm going to run or we're going to get Susie in the cottage meeting, you know, a couple miles down the road. Let's all support her. Let's get her to run. And so it all starts with gathering together, learning the principles, and then God will begin to expand your ability to understand and your capacity to go 
to rise up and go, wait a minute, we can do better than what these people are doing on the board. Or you might empower and embolden a few people on the board that are feeling the way you do, but their voice, they might be a minority on the board. Board And if 10 of you show up each week, it's going to give the, that board, particular board member, more courage and confidence to speak up and go, look, and I have a half, half the, you know, committee room is in support of what I'm saying. And so, and certainly um, rallies, little Tyler, one of our uh, cottage meeting hostesses, mamas from, um, I'm not sure Tyler, if you're on, but I'd like you maybe, uh, Tyler, are you on? You just had a rally uh, uh, to counter the school boards again. Are you in, Tyler? Yeah, we're here. Hi. Hi there, honey. What was that rally that you had like two weeks ago? Tell us about what, what, what was that? Uh, so we've been rallying, trying to be pretty consistent. We had one, I think it was the 20, whatever the Thursday, last Thursday of August. And it was for um, just uh, the, the theme was called back to school, back in the fight. <laughs> Sorry, the kids are in the background. That's okay. That's cute. But we, I actually wasn't able to go, but my good friend who helps me run my group here, um, she actually was able to speak at the meeting um, about parental rights and how, you know, they've set up this thing with the vaccine where, you know, all they have to do is have an 18 year old with them to get the vaccine. So she's like, is this going to be a teacher? Is this going to be their boyfriend or girlfriend? <laughs> like, who, who is this person that's going to allow my child to, you know, be able to get the vaccine? So she was uh, raising some concerns and it was great. And we had another mama um, talking about masks and hers was really excellent. She knocked it out of the park with some, she, at the end, she said, well, that's just science. So don't mind me. I'm just following the science. So it was, it was pretty great, but we're, we're going to keep on rallying. We've got one coming up. Um, we're going to call it for parental rights. And then we're going to do one on the 12th, which is, called uh, we we're going to call it we the parents school board and we're going to just record our own thoughts and comments because we all don't get a chance to speak because right. it's only like 10 spots so right. we're going to try to make our own little video and submit it Loudoun County did that the fight for schools group did that so we're going to try to do that too but yeah that's great oh so good okay so there so I think what I'm hearing is you just you just it's not just a one time you show up you have to kind of be consistent and it's kind of fun when it's like your girlfriends in the fight, your warrior sisters, you know, and, and you find your warrior sisters as you start to form your little groups, just like Tyler has got a group that she has formed, you know, and so you're not you're just not like a lone soul, hoping that you're making some dent, you're, you're like picking up momentum, there's strength in numbers. And so um, very good. And really what it does is it puts them on notice that you don't like what's going on, all right? And so you just keep hammering them. We don't like this, and we have a question about this, and tell us about this, and we don't like this. And so number um, three, concern number three, patriotism along with the love and respect for the founders has been removed from the classrooms. Man, I saw that a decade ago when I moved to Oregon and my kids weren't allowed to pledge allegiance because of the word God and it was offensive to the atheists in that community. 
So because our young people are no longer really being taught true American history or civics, they're just called social studies a lot of the time, they're not being taught the basic, you know, basics of uh, the constitutional principles. And we talked about this in seminar three. So what we're seeing is young people and people in the university, they don't, they don't love America. And they're thinking that, yeah, okay, yeah, I guess our country really was built on racism and slavery. And they don't have a reverence for our founding fathers because they haven't been taught the stories. They don't respect them. They don't respect, um, you know, the fact that there was very much uh, God's hand in building of America. They just don't even know that. They don't even know that. So the result has been really since the 50s, everyone coming up um, in, in this kind of godless education. That's you and me, ladies. I, I graduated from high school in 87. I mean, this was completely me. You know, I didn't, I didn't learn the stories and miracles of America in school. So we don't really have a, a, an understanding of the basic principles of righteous government that our founders envisioned. So what is the solution within the schools? Well, we teach the constitution and we teach American heritage. So how do we do that? Well, we gotta get patriotic textbooks back into the public schools and even the private schools. And so what you could do is when you go into back to school night, you give your teacher this 5,000 year leap. You say, look, you can tell them, this is such a great book to teach American history based on what our founders intended. And it's 27 principles. I read these to my kids. We, we're studying this. This is how my kids are learning history. You could, what, whatever you want to say, give that to the teacher at back to school night. What you, what you really could do if you wanted to, you could give in this whole library here, the I Love America books for the younger grades kindergarten up through maybe sixth grade. You can get these at kimbercurriculum.com or you could give them the real Benjamin Franklin, the real George Washington, the real Thomas Jefferson. If you gifted them and the most comprehensive book on the constitution from the viewpoint of the founding fathers, the making of America. Remember, it took me two years to get through this book in our cottage meeting. We did the student version where we filled in the blank, but I'm telling you, we mamas got pretty darn good at, at understanding what our founders kind of intended. So if you gave them this kind of package, it would probably be about $130, but you know, that teacher would know that you, you were putting them on notice, you know, and just, I just want to gift this to you. And if that feels like a little too much, just give them, we've given teachers 5,000 year leaps. And if nothing else, girls, just start to begin to read these books to your kids. This is another good book I would read to my kids at night. I would actually have them read portion or read, read it. And then we'd, you know, stop and discuss, you know, what they liked about what they read. These are such, I mean, you completely, you want to know why I'm always crying about every time I mention George Washington is because what I learned in these books. So imagine if you gave the school teachers, the history teachers, these kind of books. Think about it. Okay, concern number four, we're afraid for our safety of our kids. As the classrooms have become irreligious and lacking in moral uh, behavioral standards, they're filling up with, guess what, undisciplined and unruly students. You stop praying in class and all of a sudden the kids are acting a little, little naughty, you know. And, and we're also afraid we're seeing 
gangs and violence and anger coupled with rep reprisals from legal and self-interest groups had created an, and created an atmosphere where violence is, is becoming more mainstream. Now school is starting back up again. As I looked this last spring in my notebook, there had been a shooting in Tennessee in April, last April, in March, something in Arkansas, 15 year old was killed in the middle school. And in February in New Orleans, uh, there was a fight at a basketball game in high school. That was just last fall. So these kind of reports are not so shocking to us. Columbine happened over 20 years ago and, and we hear about school shootings and violence all the time now and it, it very much worries us. So what is the solution? Well, and, and can I just say, we're not only worried about kids acting crazy because we pulled God out and God tempers them. You get a kid that's studying, reading a little Bible verse and praying, it tempers them, it speaks peace to their heart. It gives them hope that there might be a better way than just acting out on your emotions. So we took, we took that beautiful platform out of the schools and we get, you know, kids that are really struggling, especially if they're not being taught these things at home. And, and uh, you know, not only are, do we need to be worried about kids, we need to be worried about unruly and undisciplined teachers. Now, remember, I told you two weeks ago, there was a science teacher in Utah uh, at a school that one of my kids used to go to. And on the first day of school, she just went off cursing, trashing uh, former President Trump, threatening students, any student that spoke out, of an, uh, out against the LGBTQ community and making fun of parents. And there was some little smart kid that had been trained at home that when the teachers start to say inappropriate things, get your phone out and film it. And he got it, he or she got it, her rant completely on video. The video went viral. When I saw it, I immediately sent off uh, an email to the principal of that school and by Friday, that teacher was removed. That principal sent me an email telling me that uh, teacher had been removed. And so that's an excellent tool to use, you know, when misbehavior is going on, tell your kids to get out their phone and get it on because otherwise that teacher could still be in the classroom teaching to that day and talk about a threat and a danger. I almost think uh, teachers nowadays are some of them. There's so many good teachers. Please, when I talk about teachers, I'm not generalizing all teachers. There's so many beautiful teachers out there, but there are some real dangerous teachers. And so that's one way that we can, uh, you know, fight up, fight back against that kind of thing. The solution here in our book is to reinstate family learning, reverse the fa failure formula introduced by John Dewey to separate the kids. Remember, we went from the one room uh, school, school under one roof, one classroom, uh, to separating them into elementary and middle school. And so peer pressure became more important than the family. And so um, what we can do is begin to uh, try and integrate the, the schools again. And what does that mean? Schools which are following this pattern of age group integration are actually seeing a decline in drugs and vandalism and outbursts and inappropriate behavior. And it's actually uniting the community. So 
I, I see that in the school that my daughter goes to. And I actually, some of my uh, kids for a few years all went to a school in Utah called uh, American Heritage, where it was from kindergarten to um, high school. And it was so cute. I mean, my oldest girl would drive all the kids to school. So they all drove together. They did. They weren't split up by the different buses. They all went. Older sister drove them. And, you know, they would see each other at lunch or see each other walking down the halls. And they would kind of like say, what were you doing with your arm around that girl, Frank? And, you know, they kind of call each other out at the, the table at dinner. And it was cute, you know, how it kind of just they were all checking up on each other. And so the school that my daughter goes to now is also K through um, high school. And we were, we were just last night, we went to a cookout for the school, back to school cookout. And they were talking about how the older grades uh, mentor the younger grades. And they all kind of have these little houses where they have all different ages for little games they play and so forth. And that has a tempering effect on them when the olders know that they're kind of there to mentor the youngers. And so you might want to, you know, propose these kind of ideas, you know, imagine if you stood up at the school board and said, it gave them the history. Do you know why we had one room class classrooms and the beauty of that? And the Amish do that today, you know, and it's, it's wonderful to, to go to Amish country and see these little uh, schools, like every mile or two, and you see the 15 year olds out there on the playground with the five year olds, you know, and how that fosters kind of a, a feeling of stewardship over each other. And so, and it also eliminates all that crazy need for buses and going everywhere and all the nonsense that takes place on buses as well. So these are some solutions to think about. Okay, another concern is no trespassing. Many communities have blocked parents from becoming involved with the schools and, and being a part of setting the standards and uh, for safety and, and, you know, things that they want to see in the classroom. In fact, I saw this uh, about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, instead of being able to go into the schools, I have to go check in, I have to make an appointment, I have to show my ID. I can't just show up and eat lunch with my kids like I used to do 15 years ago. And, uh, and so it seems like the power and control of education is coming from the state, district, and federal levels is trying to eliminate our, our voice and our involvement in, in running the schools or even being able to volunteer. I find parents don't even want me to volunteer. They used to love me to come in and correct papers or cut out things. I never hear parents at back to school night trying to solicit parents to come into the classrooms anymore. So the solution is to eliminate the control of the district and state boards of education and take away the power of the boards to control by assigning them an advisory role only. And this is more likely to happen once again, when we stop taking the money from the state and um, um, from the state school board or from the state uh, and from uh, you know, until the state is stop taking money, the federal money. Do not accept monies from those who control local government. When we take money, we have to accept the strings that come attached. Did you know we, we, we uh, you know, the local cities take in enough money? Well, imagine if we just learn to use the monies from the city. And, uh, you know, I've been told that there, there is sufficient money and that way we could really have a say. You know, if we don't feel like we have enough clout 
you know, with our city councils or school boards to do that yet, we have to now begin to introduce ourselves to them, just like, uh, you know, what we talked about, we need to start going to the school boards, we need to start having rallies, we need to start writing them, we need to start calling them and typing them. And, you know, I'm just going to give you an example of the last week of some of the things that, uh, that we did um, in, in our schools, um, to kind of push back and let our voice be heard. So a few weeks ago, my husband wrote a letter to the headmaster of our school saying, we didn't want to wear masks. Please put it put us on record. And this is why we don't want to have to wear masks. And this, and the headmaster called back and we, he had a conversation and several of us parents uh, said, you write letter, you, are you going to write a, I'll write a letter? Uh, so we all, uh, we know that there's a strong share, uh, uh, fair share of parents that wrote letters. And, um, and just uh, on Sunday night, the school said, we're going to start to offer free COVID testing just so we can monitor and make sure we can keep the numbers down. And I immediately shot off an email and a video of why I don't like that swabbing. There's all kinds of chemicals when they stick it up the nose and go to the brain. So I sent uh, the headmaster my videos and let him know that my child would not be, you know, participating. So we we just can't take what they tell us to do with with silence. We have to push back and let them know and give them some educational material that maybe refutes what they're, um, you know, suggesting. So my son, who is a senior in a, a government school, public school up the street, on the first day of school Monday, he texted dad by 10 o'clock, he had gone to three classes. And in every class, they had showed a video on why he should be vaccinated. He's like, this is crazy. My husband immediately picked up the phone and called that school and spoke to someone in the office. She said, okay, your, your concerns will be noted. And then gave him a number to call the district. And he certainly did. And so, you know, I know you might think, oh, is all these little efforts really going to matter? Is this really, am I making an impact? Remember, we're putting them on notice. Enough of us keep pushing back saying, uh, no, we don't like this. We, we And let them know that what they're proposing is unacceptable. Now, it might feel like we're losing the battles. And I tell you girls this every week. Of course, we're, of course we're losing battles. God knew in the last days we we're going to lose a lot of battles. It's called, you know, the end times for a reason. But we just have to show that we're willing to open our mouths to get on that wall. And then God will intervene if enough of us are on the on the wall fighting the battle he just wants to know that we're willing to take a stand for for morality for god's law for truth for righteousness and i dare say your example of making these phone calls and having these conversations you have children that are now watching what a warrioring happy righteous warrior warrioring parent does and that example, you don't even know how that might bear fruit someday when they're on the front line now battling as they saw you in your home, not just sitting there taking it, but doing something. And so um, anyways, okay. Number two, the second step to becoming involved locally is to heal our communities. Where are we? Heal our communities. Frequently, local citizens feel disconnected from their community leaders. Um, and we're, ju we're just not involved. We just don't know who they are. 
Uh, we don't know the rules of the community and how they're set up. I mean, seriously, when was the last time you went to a city council meeting? I, I can't remember. I've been to more school boards than I have city council meetings. Or even, have you been to a school board meeting yet? I mean, that might have to be something that is, is a part of your world if you have kids uh, in if you have kids, even if your kids go to private school, that school board dictates a lot of what's going on in the community or who your kids are interacting with, you know. And so the solution is, well, we need to become an involved citizen. So what does that look like? Well, we need to get acquainted. Who in the world are these people sitting on these boards? I need to maybe go to meet the candidate night or Believe me, they would love it if you reached out to people that are running for office or running for re-election and said, I would like to host a meet the candidate night in my, um, in my home for the people in my neighborhood. Would you just come, please come talk to us? And, and they would, they, it would be a dream come true because they're always trying to get people, you know, to open up their homes so they can, you know, campaign, so to speak. And what a perfect way if you went to a meet the candidate night or had them in your home and had five or six or 10, you know, neighbors or community members there, you could actually ask them, you know, um, are you a student of the constitution? When was the last time you studied the constitution? Uh, what, what, are, what do you consider standards of decency and morality and how are you gonna exact them in the school or on the city council? Or, you know, what do you think about the, the mandates? What do you think about critical race theory? I mean, you could ask them once you get them, once you're there, ask them the questions. And then you can, from the way he or she is responding, you can tell if they have a humble heart and they're willing to learn. You can tell if they're steeped in some constitutional principles, or you can tell if they're completely not. But you have to you have to be where they are so you can ask them a few questions uh, like that. And um, anyways, and, the, and then you would know, well, yeah, I think I'm a, I want to support this person or this person is, a, I'm going to campaign against that person. But you don't know if you are not going to these meet the candidates or hosting them in your home. That's really kind of fun. All you have to do is you know, get some cookies and some uh, water and, uh, uh, you know, put it out on the neighborhood listserv and you'd be surprised um, the, the people that would come. Okay, number, concern number two, as far as uh, healing our community, we're worried about the unwholesome activities and vices that are invading our communities. Boy, one of, uh, one of my friends told me that there was uh, bikers that would have their, uh, like a little annual, party or convention at a park near her house. And I mean, they would have wet t-shirt contests and partial nudity and, and no one said anything. So she began to push back and went to the city council and began to let people know. And, and, and those things weren't allowed to happen again. And so we, we need to rise up. Did you know that practically in every state, 50 states, there are codes uh, uh, that protect against vulgarity, but they're seldom enforced or stood up to because people just don't know about them, you know, but there are codes that, that can help protect from filth and obscenity. So you, you have to kind of understand, and we're going to talk about, we might actually have to not only, you know, have a working knowledge of our constitution, but you have, might have to know your state. 
Ooh, there's another constitution you need to kind of be familiar with is, is the state constitution, but we'll talk about that in a minute. So the solution is support worthy causes, you know, not only know what is bad going on, but know what is good and what you need to be a part of. Now, there's a reason. So all the movie theaters are opening back up again. I mean, goodness sakes, our movie theater just finally opened back up again. But as I'm looking at movies now, because I haven't gone to movies in the last year or so, I'm surprised how many movies are rated R. I mean, that remember, remember G movies? I don't even think there's such thing as G movies anymore. And it, it, you know why? Because R-rated movies make more money. Family movies don't make enough money. So when you get a Christian movie or a family movie in your movie theater, that that manager or, or that owner is taking is going to lose money. So what you need to do is when a family movie hits your theater, you go in and you talk to the owner and the manager, you donate 50 bucks, you donate $100. And you say, I want people to come to this movie. Can you, you know, promote your yeah, free tickets and I'll, I'll pay the $100, you know, we need to support good things, you know, imagine what kind of impact you'd have on the community if everyone, when there was a family movie, went in and donated money to keep that movie going and to let the owner know, we like movies like this, we'll come to movies like this, you know, and and um, also support activities that help phase out inappropriate and immoral events. So these um Activities would be like maybe rodeos or family night in the park or maybe some back to school cookouts in your neighborhood or um, uh, we just had a, a back to school cookout uh, that we went to last night. And there was all kind of, you know, families and, and parents there. And we talked about the mass mandates and COVID testing. We kind of organized and we talk amongst ourselves and we're like, well, who made this? Who's on the executive board? I mean, when you gather in these kind of um, settings, you get to know each other better and you can talk about the issues that you're that you're all worried about, you know, instead of just staying like little silos in your home. Same with the neighborhood. I mean, do you have potluck uh, potlucks in your neighborhood or do you have like movie family nights in the in the summer or on Monday night? Three little neighbors just like a couple doors up from me hired an ice cream truck and sent out on the neighborhood listserv said the first 50 kids uh, to show up between 4 and 5.30 gets free ice cream. Come everyone and let's celebrate the beginning of school. So there was, there was probably 50 to 75 parents and kids up there on Monday. And you better believe, so I think those three parents probably each paid maybe 75 bucks a piece. I think it was like $200. And then it, when all the, the 50 ice creams were taken, we were still, kids were still coming and just paying their four bucks for the ice cream. But it was an opportunity for us to talk about the schools and how you're dealing with the masks and that kind of thing. It was a great idea. I'm like, what a great idea to call the ice cream truck and say, we have a guaranteed 50 kids that will show up. Can you be here? And so that, that was a great idea. And I bonded with some of the neighbors I hadn't seen that summer for a while. Great idea. 
Okay, concern number three, we're worried about the media pollution invading our home, pornography, indecency, violence, perversions have polluted the airwaves. Oh my word, mamas, I don't even need to tell you this. Pornography is like the modern day plague. And you know, the, the highest age group where it's increasing is amongst girls ages 18 through 35. And I think they say 40% of adult men all have some sort of addiction to porn. And you know that that started when they were young boys. And 80% of kids are exposed to pornography by the age of 10. It's an epidemic. It is a plague. It destroys lives. It destroys marriages. So what can we do? The solution, legislate it out, monitor it, block it, unplug it. In as much as these problems uh, of vice and corruption can't be solved at the local level, sometimes you have to take pornography and, and those kind of things up to a state level and even a federal level. It goes up vertically the line to the legislative state and to federal legislators. We, petition, we uh, petition, we can petition our state legislators and our federal elected officials to pass laws making the transmission of this kind of thing, pornography, illegal. All right. So oftentimes this kind of stuff, pornography is coming in from foreign countries and federal legislation could block this. You know, <laughs> Muslim countries don't have pornography. Uh, there are certain countries that their, their pornography doesn't come into their country. So it can be done. We just have to we just have to ask them, what are you doing to block this filth and garbage uh, coming in? So the state legislature has some control over that and our um, federal delegations as well. Now, certainly in the home, I take my uh, phones away from my kids at around nine o'clock every night. And I have the computers in open areas. I check their phones. You can put filters on the phones. Girls, they're going to get pornography outside of the home as well. And so I really think the best thing you can do, I wish I had my, my Bible stories with me. Just last night, I had a little devotional with my 18 year old son and my 13 year old girl. And we opened up the word and we were talking, um, uh, the scripture was about our bodies being temples and how can we be holy and pure so God can dwell in the holy setting. And my boy said, we got to keep our minds clean. We have to be, you know, think good thoughts. And that opened the door for me to talk about pornography, you know, and how your friends are looking at pornography and you school as you see it. And how can we have a clean temple and be looking at porn? We can't have the spirit of God and be looking at porn. So it, it opened up a wonderful dialogue. More good can be done in those little family devotional settings, you talk about issues, you talk about these kind of things in that family devotional. That's why to me, it's the most sacred time of the day with my kids because I can talk about real dangers with them and I can arm them up and I can prepare them and I can help them resist temptation. And, um, and so anyways, okay, let's move on. Concern number four, pornography and indecent materials that are in local schools and libraries. Uh, so I'm maybe some of you have had this experience. Maybe you haven't yet because you have young kids and you're just cluing into it. But oftentimes they'll put real, you know, suggestive covered woman boobs and, you know, out of, you know, the, the headlines on some of these magazines at the grocery store at the eye level of children. So mom is busy, you know, putting the food on the conveyor belt or paying the bill and kids are getting an eye full about Viagra and, you know, everything else. 
So what do you do? The solution, you dig out the dirt legally and decisively. You elect community leaders who will make laws prohibiting the sales of pornographic materials and local stores. That's why it's important. You go to the meet the candidate and you ask them, what are you going to do to protect our communities from pornographic influences? So you ask the candidates these things. What, what laws are you willing to, to sponsor, support, or, or you know, restrictions? And you're going to just have to have a conversation with the managers and with the owners of some of these businesses and stores if you don't like what, you know, they're showing on the shelves. And even in the library, you know, you might have to get a group together and let them know you don't like some of the things that they're putting forth. Now, I just had to laugh when I saw that because I can't even remember the last time I went to a library. You know, I was like, uh, does anyone go to the library anymore? Now, I used to go to the library all the time when my kids were young, but uh, but that still might be an issue. You might go to the library every week and have your kids pick out 20 books or 10 books or whatever. And, and so um, you, you just have to continually be having discussions with the librarians and the business owners if you, if you see things. And imagine again, if your cottage meeting came together you know, and you all showed up with your t-shirts to talk to a store manager, six of you moms, now, now we're talking. They're going to take a uh, note of, of what your concerns are. Okay, the, the, we're, we just have two more pages left here. The third step to becoming involved locally is to assist in healing the state. So I hope you're getting kind of the different level of how you can be a part of healing your education, healing the community, some concerns in the community, and now what we can do to heal at the state level. Every citizen should know, be familiar with not only the national constitution, which we have, we're learning, but that every state has a state constitution. Now, I have never read, I live in Maryland, I have never read the Maryland state constitution. But, um, you know, I think it would be wise because once again, you speak from a position of educational strength when you can quote some of these documents, you know, instead of coming at it from emotionalism, um, you can, you can speak, you know, uh, with greater authority. So maybe put that on your bucket list to do is pull up your state constitution and peruse it, take a look at it. Number two, every uh, citizen should attend or have someone from their family attend caucuses and meet the candidate events and let them know, express your feelings, your concerns. And that way you can kind of vet them. Look, are these men and women of virtue? I mean, are, are they good people? Do, do they even believe in God? Are they, are they good? Are they godly? Are they going to evoke the name of God out in public? You know, I just had in our little family devotional last night, I had my kids read a quote from Abraham Lincoln because I went to his house this summer. I got this little quote book and the quote that my little girl chose to randomly pick and talk and we talked about was him talking about God. Now, you know, we want our elected leaders not to be so afraid to talk about God. We want them to have some courage, you know? I mean, how in the world are they going to support godly law if they're afraid to even evoke God's name? And so you, you discern that when you go to these meet the candidates or you go to the board meetings and see how they talk or really meet the candidates is when you can question them because they're trying to put their best foot forward. 
and you can be a, a little bit more aggressive and they're going to have to take it from you because they're trying to earn your vote, so to speak. So those meet the candidate nights are important, especially if you can have it in your house. Okay, number three, um, are they, and, and I, that's also a time when you can get a sense of um, how they feel about the oath of office because everyone that is elected, they take an oath to God to defend uh, the Constitution. And so you can ask them, how do you plan on upholding and defending the Constitution? Well, prove it. Prove to me what you're willing to do to defend your oath of office. You could ask them questions like that. Let them squirm. <laughs> Maybe they won't squirm. Maybe they'll be so steeped in the Constitution, you will love what they have to say, and you will want to campaign and put their sign in your, your yard. Number four, um, keep track of all the happenings at the state legislature. So what you'll want to do is in your cottage meeting, you'll you'll be aware of other like-minded little groups that maybe monitor state uh, the legislature uh, when your session. And so you'll kind of want to partner with them and maybe you'll have someone come to your cottage meeting and they can talk uh, or even maybe even a legislator and they can talk about the legislation they want to run the session and, and to be on the lookout for it. So you can kind of monitor it. So you can make phone calls and let them know and you can, you know, kind of solicit all your cottage meeting ladies. And then for them, you know, you put something out in the school, hey, this, this legislation isn't a good idea. We need everyone to call. Just like Tyler, she has a, uh, our mama from Virginia has a digest that um, she puts out a little online digital uh, magazine, so to speak, not a magazine, but a digest. It's just, it's, it's just a page of what's going on in um, the city that week and some legislation that they need to look out for. And here's some telephone numbers or email addresses of people you can contact. And so, you know, you want to hook up with groups like that and, and form partnership mom links groups. And um, look, we can't, we can't solve all the problems, you know, and, and, and if we, you know, try and do this problem, there'll be three other problems that pop up by the time we kind of got this problem under control and it will kind of dilute us and burn us out over time and, and kind of discourage us. So what we need to do is we come together and we learn the principles, you know, because principles invigorate you. You could look at a problem and you can go, well, this is violating this amendment or this is vi violating this principle from the 5,000 year leap. You correct this principle and you get back to, you know, how the founders had it and you correct the problem. And, uh, and so that's, what's so empowering about knowing principles. You know, you, you don't, you, um, you rifle, you have a rifle approach instead of a, a shotgun where it's fractured energy and you kind of wear yourself out with all these various issues, right? And that comes from studying uh, the constitution and studying how it got broke and then knowing, oh, okay, these are some of the inspired amendments we need to correct the problem. So instead of putting a Band-Aid on the boilerplate, we are putting an, oh, we're reinstituting a new, we're getting a new boiler or, you know, a repaired boy, a bo bo boiler. Are you following me on that analogy? <laughs> okay. Number five, attend party caucuses and conventions, be a little delegates, start to get involved a little bit. Sometimes you might have to wait till your kids are a little bit older. Maybe you feel like you can put it into your schedule, but I have friends that are in their sixties and seventies and began to get involved because they felt like they had more time. And now they're, they're rock stars. They go to all the conventions and their voices heard. Number six, support a pro 
appropriate legislations that are proposed to restore proper constitutional principles. Okay. And once again, that's why we come to the cottage meeting. That's why we link with other groups in the community. So we don't have to figure it all out. You know, each little group can kind of do their part and then we share the information. Seven, be vigilant in every possible way to control the vices by peaceful picketing. My sister showed up with a whole group of parents at the governor's mansion and it was called See My Smile Rally because they didn't want to have to wear a mask to school. And uh, it was peaceful, but, you know, they got their point across. And there's assemblies and rallies hosts, just like Tyler talked about the rallies that they're consistently trying to have. Uh, there's public protest. Yours truly and Viv, Viv and me, uh, were at the January 6th, the, uh, the, the, big, the big daddy, the famous protest. Looks like it will go down in history. Uh, and we were actually there and we know how it was interpreted on TV was just not correct or true. And so it, we have every right uh, to assemble peaceably. And I always say, uh, there were some bad players there at that January 6th rally in Washington, D.C. And I, I, I've been to a lot of rallies uh, that were supportive of President Trump. And those people that broke into the Capitol, you know, uh, oftentimes uh, the people at the rallies have, you know, Christian shirts and God and I love America and the flag that I say, I believe. I saw it with my eyes. Vivian could probably corroborate this. It was Antifa or the likes of those kind of people that broke into the Capitol and Trump supporters were let in, but the Antifa that were pounding away, you know, at the Capitol, uh, the, those weren't godly people there, um, you know. And so we have every right to assemble peaceably. That is in the, the Constitution, the First Amendment. Appropriate letters to various media outlets a couple months ago, we did a ban at Costco because of their treatment of Mike Lindell. They took his pillows out and so did Bed Bath and & Beyond and Cole. So I have not shopped there. And I wrote a letter to Costco. I need to write a letter to Bed Bath and & Beyond and Kohl's. Um, so I didn't go to Costco on the day that uh, we, it was a nationwide ban and I, I let them know why. So we have to keep these kind of things up. Also, study the history of your state and community to instill within your family a love and appreciation of their heritage and ancestry. So a couple months ago, me and my little girl watched the movie Harriet. It's just called Harriet, Harriet Tubman. So Harriet was born in Maryland. And we did some research and there's actually her home and there's a little museum. So we want to go to that place. Um, we were in Alabama last week, me and my husband. One of our heroes is Booker T. Washington. He was born a slave, wrote a beautiful book called Up From Slavery. He doesn't believe he was a victim at all. He believes he was a victor and his story is amazing. So we wanted to go visit Tuskegee University that he founded in the 1900s. And um, it's a historically uh, black college and university, but it was founded by Booker T. Washington. And so I bought this book and, um, and it tells the history of Booker T. And, and, and George Washington Carver, who was uh, the most famous black scientist, scientist in general in the 20th century. 
and with over 300 uh, experiments and inventions or experiments on potatoes and sweet potatoes or uh, peanuts. So anyways, uh, 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 my 18 year old boy, when he comes down in the morning, sometimes he leaves a little early. So I only have him for like five minutes. I give him a smoothie. So I read him this book. And at first he looked at me like, mom, you're going to read me a child's book. But I read him about the history of Tuskegee and Booker T. Washington and these great black men that overcame and were complete victors. They were not victims. And they focused on, you know, the victories that could be achieved, not the injuries that had occurred in their life. And we had this great conversation about this children's book. Now, this is my six four big, handsome basketball player listening, sipping his little smoothie while mama's teaching him about, you know, the great black leader uh, that changed the world. And so we had a great discussion about that. And so, you know, you teach kids to love the history of the state they live in and to be proud of their identity and whence they come. And they're less likely to want to tear down statues and loot and burn and destroy like we saw a lot of the young people did during the riots of the last couple of summers, these race riots and Black Lives Matter riots, because they just don't know and have an appreciation of the great men and women that came before and overcame true heartache and trials and racism. And so um, number, number nine, uh, when possible, oh, become a candidate. Now that's an interesting thought, girl, run for office. Girls, I, I told you the story of one of our mamas who went through our Healing of America seminar in January and um, an opportunity arose for her to run for her, uh, the school board in Pennsylvania and she ran and she won the primary and she's gonna win that general election. And she's not only, I keep in touch with her, I'm gonna talk to her today about uh, something. She not only uh, is going to win, but she brought on a slate of two other like-minded candidates that are going to be writing candidates that are like her, that are steeped in the founder's wisdom. And it looks like they might win. And she started this coalition of like-minded parents, like three or four parents. And she said, it's over a hundred people now. And it's all because, I don't want to say all because, but it's cute. She says, Jeline, I learned those stories of how God helped Joan of Arc and Christopher Columbus, he's a God of miracles. Why wouldn't he help me? And so that's what gave her the courage. And she won. So girls, at some point, you might have to run or a friend of yours or a family member. My husband ran for the state Senate and won because of what I learned in the cottage meeting. So just know that. And I think we have a few on, on Tina's. Tina's husband is a state legislator. So, you know, when you get this knowledge in your heart, it, one of the things you might need to do, not everyone, but one might be to, to run for office. And, um, and then it talks about don't let the irreligious define or interpret the Constitution. And we do that by having a seat at the table, by sitting on that board or knowing that people are putting good people in office. Don't be tempted to promote entitlement uh, programs, uh, uh, programs that will give you money because that entraps neighborhoods and communities. I mean, I've heard my husband speak on this so much. He said, welfare crushed the black community in the sixties because it encouraged the woman to marry the government and it made the man and work redundant. I mean, why marry the man when you're 
penalized for marrying the father. You get more money. And so, you know, and we're seeing that today with unemployment. People make more money with their unemployment checks than working and how, you know, hotels and restaurants can't even work at full capacity now because too many people are at home accepting these checks. What does that do long term to a person not to go out and be a part of growing their communities and working and, and the, you know, the self-fulfillment that comes from working for your money. Excuse me. That's my doggy. Okay. And lastly, promote concepts that, um, that teach biblical morality. Look, the purpose of our laws is to ensure a moral society and to protect our inalienable God-given rights. So when the irreligious rule, the people mourn because um, our laws that that legislate immorality produces unhappiness and discontent and violence. And we're seeing all this as we pull God out of the communities, uh, godless laws move in. And uh, in contrast, you know, when, when righteous rules prevail, people rejoice and, and it, it qualifies the communities and the states and the nation for the protection of God when you follow his laws. So uh, there's a, one more concern. Many people have become victims of political correctness. Oh, okay. People are just becoming too apathetic or afraid to say anything because they're going to, they might sound like they're uh, racist or, you know, so they don't, you know, they're, they're just afraid to speak up. And, um, and so the solution is, oh, there's so much I could say about this girls. I mean, I could talk about this for 20 minutes, but we don't, we're out of time. So it talks about how we need to take a stand for righteousness. The Lord is not happy when we're lukewarm. He tells us in revelations, uh, you're, you're not good for anything. I just want to spew you out of my mouth. I can't use you for anything. If you're not willing to stand up and declare, truth and righteousness you know i i want you to be hot or cold i want you i don't want you to be lukewarm and look the lord was not happy when moses went up to get remember in the bible to get the commandments and the people were left behind and it says one tenth of the three million turned to wickedness and debauchery in front of women and children they're doing very bad things but what the Lord was really upset about. I mean, he had those people killed when Moses came back down, but he penalized everyone else that stood by idly and didn't say anything or stop that one tenth of the percent of, uh, you know, it was about 3000 uh, men and women that were doing bad things, men probably particularly hate to single out the men, but, but the Lord doesn't like it when we stand by idly and when we don't defend him. So we need to understand as well that our feelings don't give you license to perform, uh, you know, and, and so, uh, I mean, that's such the, the common theme today. Well, I feel, I feel this way, therefore I'm going to do it. You know, when your kids come to you and say, well, I felt like doing it, even though what they were doing was wrong. You say, well, so what? Well, what if your little daughter or your grandchild goes, I feel like I'm a girl and I like girls. Well, you know, you say, so those feelings will be the undoing of you. We don't, we don't follow through with every urge. We have to stick within God's law, 
because that's how God can bless you if you're obedient. Just because we might have a feeling we want a candy bar, we want to steal it, or we think we are a girl and we like girls, or we I'm a, a, mar- a married man and I think I have a crush on my secretary. That doesn't mean we follow through on those feelings. You know, we need to keep our feelings under control. We don't act upon them. We train our kids that sometimes those feelings are normal and we, we think thoughts that we shouldn't. But we then go back to what God teaches us. You know, our feelings don't give us license to perform. It's so interesting. My 18-year-old son, he came home the other day and he's like, so he hasn't been to that school in a year and a half. School, they weren't in session last year. And he said, mom, so many girls have shaved their heads and dyed their hair uh, red or pink. And she's like, I think these girls are fluid with their gender. And, you know, Satan is really having a heyday with teenagers right now and, and making them think that their sexual identity is very fluid and they can, you know, they can love who they want. If they feel it, it's okay. It's all good. We need to teach them. And I, I almost think that root comes from Disney. Follow your heart, do what you feel. No, you know, we, we want to teach them. We want to follow God is what we want to do. The bounds that God establishes is how your feelings should be performed or not performed. And that is taught in the home. That is taught by mother. Just because we have certain feelings doesn't mean we have liberty to perform and act out on those feelings. Okay. And so that kind of teaching takes place at home and in the churches and with moral education. Okay. So, in summary, it's important to understand that the healing of America will only come through the intervention of heavens. I mean, mamas, we have progressed so far down the road (laughs) to destruction that it might feel, and I think it would be impossible to restore America and the constitution without the assistance of God. This is just too big for us. So we have to do all that we can. We have to work like everything depends upon us. And then we have to turn to the heavens And then God will be justified in intervening, but enough of us have to wake up. So it will require involvement at six levels here. At a personal level, we get ourselves together. We we get our families together. We repair relationships. We restore relationships. We begin to pray. We begin to study the word together. We get involved out in the community. This is what we talked about today. We get involved in the schools a little bit more. We get involved in the communities and on up through the state. We're going to talk next week about um, things we can do to heal the Constitution and have an impact nationally. In our last class, we'll actually talk about what we can do to reach out to the world and to be a light on the hill. I mean... We don't know how to be a part of the solution if we aren't studying these things. And that's the beautiful thing. We gather together. We learn these things. We learn what we need to do in order to repair. We use, you know, rifle approaches instead of kind of shotgun approaches. I mean, mamas, come on now. Fresh courage take. We talked a lot about concerns today. And I think some of these concerns ring familiar. Yeah, these are my concerns, you're probably saying. So what can we do to be a part of the solution is always the question that we ask. Well, (laughs) just the fact, sorry, that we're coming together and we're learning and we're studying, you know, God is going to place it into our hearts. We have to remind ourselves the history of America is to be unafraid. There is a warrioring spirit for freedom here in America is in, it's a part of our 
divine birthright. We feel it, you know, as citizens of this country. Isaiah in the Bible said, the weapons that have been formed against you will not prosper. The enemies that are against families and God and righteousness will not prosper against us. If we hold our ground, we hold the line and we fight for what we believe. If we don't, we're going to lose it. Look, the weapon of our warfare is going to be our prayer and our study of the word and our family and our ability to act. God loves liberty. He tells us all throughout the Bible where the spirit of God is, there is liberty. And so we got to get God back into the game. We got to be praying. We got to be acting. We got to be serving. And when we do those things, it evokes, it turns on the covenant with God and it opens up our hearts and our brains to heaven. I mean, we want to repent. We want to get right with ourselves and in our families. We want to forgive people we, and we want to be a part of the solution and serve. And then as we do that, it justifies God to intervene and to begin to heal. And so this is what we're talking about, mamas. So please go back, read these concerns, read some of the solutions, read some of the things that you might do to be a part of the solutions. And it might just start right within the four walls of your home. You might just want to start a little family devotional. That, that can be, I'm telling you, that will bear the most fruit what you do within the four walls of your home. I'm telling you right there. So don't think that that's no small thing. Um, so anyways, okay, girls, that is our class today. Am I with you? Oh, I'm going longer and longer. I'm so sorry. But anyways, thank you so much for your attention. I'm going to turn the time back over to Vivian. Vivian.